Hi, everyone. My name is Robert West, and I'm a pastor here at Mosaic Church. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. And happy Father's Day. Uh, my dad's here. Just spotted him in the crowd a second ago. Uh, if you're looking for him, he looks like me, just a little bit tougher and stronger in general. Uh, what I'm so grateful for my dad and his work in my life, he loved me and he loves Jesus, and I wouldn't be the man that I am today without him. And so I don't know if Father's Day is a day of joy and celebration or sadness or indifference to you, but I'm glad that we have a, God, a father in heaven that loves us, that adopted us as his children. I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a good father to us. We thank you, God, that we get to worship you here with your people together. We pray, Lord, that as we celebrate this psalm um, and celebrate you, Lord, that we would see how great you are, how wonderfully you care for your people, and what it looks like uh, to live a life rooted in you. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so at the West household, we practice what we call family worship. We try to do this most nights, but that's... It's ambitious. Most, you know, four, four to five a week is good for us. But what we do is we have a short time where we sing a couple songs, read a short section of scripture, and take some time to pray together. And it's good. We've done it for a long time, and I love it. I treasure it. And so naturally, having three small children and, and one baby, they start asking us, Dad, can we, can we dance during family worship? And I'm a good, reasonable parent. My wife is a good, reasonable person, too. So, you know, of course she can dance. It's a good thing. You should dance. It's great. And so it starts out okay, right? The dancing is it's reasonable, it's controlled. But like all of us, sometimes when we, we get a little bit of freedom, we kind of can, can move on with it. And so slowly the sways turn into spins, the little hops turn into jumps, and the pitter-patter turned into to sprints. And this all culminated when I have one son launch, one kid launching himself off of the fireplace, another one sprinting full speed around the couch, and another one doing spinny arms in the middle of the living room. It's chaos, and there's a collision. There's tears, sadness. I don't remember if there was blood, but it wasn't good. And again, being kind, reasonable parents, we looked at them and said, no more dancing during family worship. <laughs> and the way you laugh, that sounds kind of harsh the way that you know, I say it now, and, and maybe I'll reconsider that. But um, the, the point in that, and I, I hope it's an encouragement to you, is that worship can feel really, really hard. It can feel really, really costly. I know family worship feels costly, right? If anyone gives you a picture of family worship that's just wonderful and perfect and both parents and kids that are well-behaved and focused, I, I don't know that it truly exists on a consistent basis. But I treasure family worship with my family. It's something that we've done that's hard, but it's worth it. God told us that it was worth it and we believed him and we've done it and we've practiced it and I'm thankful for that. Worship here together on Sundays can feel really hard. I don't know about you, but if you have kids, getting them out, out the door and being on time for a hyper-local church that may even be like five minutes away can feel really difficult. It's still hard for me. But God tells us that it's good. And maybe you're single. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're married without kids. Maybe your nights on Saturdays are later and you have a different rhythm. And, and waking up early is hard. It can be really hard. It can feel really hard. But God promises us, as we'll see in the psalm, that it's good to give thanks in the Lord that he's worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our affections. And so that's what I hope we see today. If you want to open your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 92. The title is, How Great Are Your Works? A Psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. 
to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Our main point today, if you're taking notes, is this. Worship God with his people. Root yourself in him and flourish forever. Worship God with his people. Root yourself in him and flourish forever. Psalm 92 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And we'll see it's meant to be sung in the context of worship by God's people. And the title of it, you see, it's How Great Are Your Works. It strikes at the heart of what worship is meant to be. A time of giving our loyal, our loving and holy God the praise and honor that's due to his name. The psalm has elements of delight, warning, wisdom, and hope. It's got a little bit of everything. But there's three truths that I want us to see today in Psalm 92. (laughs) That's my daughter over there. (laughs) The first one is this. God's people praise God because he is great. God's people praise God because he is great. The second is God's enemies ignore God and fall. God's enemies ignore God and fall. And the third is God raises up the righteous for eternal blessing. God raises up the righteous for eternal blessing. You'll see again if you look in your Bibles that this is a psalm that's meant for the Sabbath, a time of rest and reflection and worship for God's people. This is actually the only psalm that's labeled in your Bibles as a song for the Sabbath. But it was a day for God's people to remember who God is, to worship him, and to rest from their toils. The song itself actually doesn't mention the Sabbath explicitly. But again, it's full of these these patterns of rest, worship, remembrance. And while the psalm, as we see, is titled, Great Are Your Works, it also doesn't mention any specific great works of God. So when we read this as God's people, we're left to contemplate all of God's works, the works of his hands, both in the life of God's people, in the life of the world, in the past, the present, and the future. All the Psalms offer worship to God in some way or another, but Psalm 92 captures what I want to talk about today, the essence of corporate worship. There's song, there's prayer, there's instruments, there's praise, an exaltation of the Most High God who's worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our affections. And that's what we're gathered here today to do. Amen? Amen. So the first point is this. God's people praise God because he is great. 
I'll read verse one and two again. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. My first line, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. There's two things I want to point out here. The first is that it's good to give thanks to the Lord in the sense that it is right. It is the right kind of good. Much like it's right to tell the truth, to read books, to exercise, to drink a smoothie. It's right that we worship the Lord. And the names of God here that are used are the names uh, Yahweh and Elion. And the name Yahweh, uh, if you see the Lord in all caps in your Bibles, that's your clue. The name Yahweh would have reminded uh, Israel of who God is, the God of great deeds, the one that rescued them, that revealed his name, that saved them from, the, from Egypt when they were captives. And the name Elion here, if you look in your Bibles, it's, it's translated as most high. This is a reminder that the God that we worship is a God that has surpassing greatness above all others. He's worthy of our worship. And the second way that it's good to give thanks to the Lord is as an emotional response, a rightly placed emotional response. To put it plainly, it feels really good to worship God who is good. My wife and I just had a baby uh, in December uh, with a five-year gap between kids. And so it was a reminder that, that babies can be tough. The night's uh, can be really long, and the diapers still stink, I found out. But man, there's something so good about her. There's so something good, there's so, something so good about holding my daughter, about getting a full, open-mouth face kiss from her when she's still trying to figure that out. It's just good. And we don't always feel this goodness in worship, this sense of rightness with God. But when we do, it's a picture of heaven. And I hope you've experienced it, when the Spirit of God is moving in you and you're worshiping the holy God. And I just want to tell you quickly that this is something I missed so terribly during COVID, during those early days of quarantine. If you were here and you had kids, uh, I'm sure you remember trying to gather them in front of the television early on Sunday mornings. I'd spent years telling my kids that TV was an idol, we should be really careful. And then it was, hey, go to the TV, we need to watch Pastor Kyle and Stephen. It was hard. It was lonely. If you were single, it would have probably felt really lonely to not gather with God's people, to be at your house or your apartment, to not see each other, not knowing when it was going to end, and, and we couldn't worship. We couldn't worship with God's people. I missed your voices individually, and I missed the collective voice of the people of Mosaic. Every time I sing with you, I hear it and I feel it. And I don't know if you remember if you were here, our first worship service after COVID was back in this building. It was awkward. We had to keep distance from each other. We weren't sure if it was safe or what we were supposed to do, um, but I remember it. I cried, we sang, we took communion, and I promised myself I would never forget what a gift it is to just to be able to go to church. Worshiping with you guys reminds me of, of doing that and who God is in a way that I, I can't do in my house, even with my family. It's special. It's good. It's good to be together. Verse 2 talks about the steadfast love of God in the morning and his faithfulness by night. And what the psalmist is saying here, on one hand, it would have been pointing to morning and evening sacrifices offered at the temple on the Sabbath day. But I think it's also pointing to something else. I think it's pointing us to a life with God that begins and ends with him. I'm going to read a quick quote from Augustine, a faithful church father. He says, when you do this, when you praise him morning and night, you always praise God, always confess to God, and sing unto his name, 
And the words here point to God that's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. The phrase here, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word hesed. If you were part of the Ruth Bible study, this word might have stuck out to you. It's a word describing the covenant love of God for his people. It's the word used to describe Ruth's relationship to Naomi. I don't know if you remember her words, but I'm going to read them. She says, For where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The word faithfulness here is used in Deuteronomy 32.4, in the Song of Moses, when he's describing God giving his law to Israel. He says this, he says, The rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So he's a God of steadfast and faithfulness. And so the question the psalm, answer, psalm answers is, how are we as God's people to remember his steadfast love together? How do we do that? He's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, it says that we worship him with music, with song, to the melody of the lyre. Think like an ancient acoustic guitar. It's good to sing together with God's people. It's good to adorn the sanctuary with praise. And not only do we remember his love and faithfulness as we worship, but you'll see in the title of the psalm, we remember the great works of God. You'll hear pastors around here say, we remember and rehearse the mighty acts of God together. We worship him because he is great and he is gracious. He's sovereign over all things and he saves his people. And this is what the psalmist is pointing to. We don't worship either a distant God, a God that has distant works that we can just look at, but it says in the psalm that the works are the works of his hands. This is a God that's intimately acquainted with his people. This would have reminded readers and people in the congregation of God's creation, of speaking the world into existence by the word of his power. They would have remembered his rescuing of his people from Egypt, parting the Red Sea, tearing down the walls of Jericho with songs and shouts. We can remember as believers Jesus beating the 5,000 and the Father raising Jesus from the dead. He's a God of mighty works, worthy of our affection. Worship God with his people. Root yourself in him, and you'll flourish forever. Now in verse five, we see that the psalmist says, your thoughts are very deep. Your thoughts are very deep. The psalmist here is pausing to reflect now on the thoughts of God. And honestly, when I read this in my study, it felt a little bit out of left field. It's talking about God being worthy of our worship and affection and his great works. And he just sort of pauses and says, your thoughts are very deep. But I'll tell you, every commentary that I read settled here for a long time to meditate on the thoughts of God. So I don't want to skip over it. It's setting up a contrast between the God who knows all things and the wicked who think they know and they don't. So the depths of God's thoughts. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything we see, everything we experience, these are from a God that speaks them into existence. Every breath that we breathe, every fish that swims, every gust of wind is made so by the word of God's power. And in Job 38 and 39, we see an incredible description of the thoughts of God in his creation. I'm going to read one short portion. God says to Job this, Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? 
Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? I didn't even read the beginning of Job 39. There's actually a a four-verse description of mountain goats giving birth, right? This is a God of intimate detail with his creation. I laugh when I read that. But oh, what detail, what care he has even for the smallest of his creatures, for mountain goats giving birth. If he thinks that way of mountain goats, consider how he thinks of you. Consider the thoughts of God. And this takes us to our second point. It's this, it's that God's enemies ignore God and fall. Whereas God is one of deep thoughts, he knows all. I want us to consider now the fool in this passage. What is it talking about when it, when it mentions the fool? The fool is this, and it's one that makes the mistake, unfortunately, that we so often do. We don't consider the depth of thoughts, God's thoughts. We don't consider the depth of God's thoughts. We think we can know. We think that we can know from what we see here on earth with our eyes, but we can't. We have eyes for here and now far too often, but this is the heart of folly. It's believing that we can know and understand without God. It's the mistake that our father Adam made. He fell into this trap. He thought he could know without God. There's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way to death. And the psalmist gives us a picture of what this worldly flourishing looks like, right? He's talking about someone that, the wicked, that seem to always be flourishing in this world. And the picture is this, it's grass. It says the wicked are like grass. Everywhere you look, there's grass, right? You can go to Home Depot and buy any kind of grass you want to. Pick it up in the parking lot, bring it to your house. Grass is here. It seems to be everywhere. But its roots are not deep. It's not made to last. And God is telling us to enter into a life of depth with him. Verse 8 through 10 say that the wicked will prosper for a moment, but that they're doomed to destruction forever. Evil in this world is not going to last. God is going to reign forever. And when we see and consider the evils of today, I want us to have eyes looking to eternity. It's so evil to feel defeated and disheartened by what we see around us. But we worship a God who's not just for here and now, but he's forever. He's eternal. Another quote from Augustine. He says this. He says, What seems to you long is short. All these things pass over quickly. What is the long life of man to the eternity of God? Do you wish to be of long suffering? Consider the eternity of God. Why do you suffer weariness? He is eternal. He waits. Join your heart to the eternity of God, and with him you shall be eternal. And just as God is contrasted to the wicked, the psalmist now enters in a time of contrast of the life of wickedness to what the life can look like for the righteous, those that root themselves in God. We see the evildoers are scattered, And the psalmist says that the righteous, on the other hand, are exalted and anointed. He points to a God who's strong. The psalmist isn't dealing with the wicked himself, but he says, my eyes have seen and my ears have heard the downfall of his enemies. The psalmist trusts that God is going to judge the wicked, the evil in this world, spiritual, physical, the rulers of this age. We don't have to worry about it as God's people. We need to have eyes of eternity, of an eternal God who will judge rightly. The righteous, it says, are exalted, exalted like the horn of the wild ox. I had to look this up. 
what the wild ox was here. It's actually the, it's called the aurochs. It's an ancient extinct ox. Bos primigenius is the scientific name, is what Google tells me. And it was a giant ox, six feet tall at the shoulder, horns facing forward. The point being here is that the righteous, when it says are highly exalted, they're really, really exalted, like a big, giant dinosaur ox. It says that the, he says, you pour over me fresh oil. This would have been something expensive, costly, for refreshment, healing, and anointing. This is telling us that God is giving abundant blessing to his people, to the righteous. He's not withholding from us. And that takes us to our final point. It's that God raises up the righteous for eternal blessing. I want to read verses 12 through 15 one more time. Verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Now, out of God's kindness, we're not just invited to praise him for what he has done. God invites us to life in him and life with him. The righteous are not like grass. They're not exactly like God, ruling and reigning over everything. No, the picture that the psalmist gives us is that the righteous are like trees, like good trees that aren't going to fall, but that are going to flourish and grow upward into eternity with God. The imagery of this psalm calls back to Psalm 1. It may have sounded familiar. Psalm 1 says that the righteous one is planted, a tree planted by streams of water. And so just as in Psalm 1, the tree is planted in a place of safety and flourishing, here the psalmist says that the tree is not planted in a stream, but in the sanctuary of the temple itself, flourishing in the safety and security of God's presence. We see a picture of a healthy tree that's bearing fruit, and we get two pictures of trees, right? It says like the palm tree. I was thinking Florida immediately, but this isn't what it's talking about. It's talking about the date palm, right? If you've ever had dates or looked at a date palm tree, which I did in studying, um, they had a ton of fruit on them, like a ton, and they lasted for a really long time. If you know about cedar trees, particularly the cedars of Lebanon, all throughout the ancient world, the cedars of Lebanon were highly prized for their strength, for their straightness, they were resistant to decay. And if you look at the, the story of how the temple was built, these were commissioned and brought in to build God's temple, the cedars of Lebanon. This is how the righteous are, right? God flourishes them not just like any trees, but trees that are fruitful and strong. Kyle Porter texted me this, even into old age. That's such good news. Our life with God doesn't grow increasingly obsolete the older that we get. It continues to bear fruit. And just quick aside, I think good trees are really awesome. If you go to the Texas A&M Tree Finder, which I have often, you can learn all about trees. You don't have to. It's kind of dorky. But if you want one uh, real-life example, go to Shady's Burgers if you've been there. And outside, there's a giant live oak, right? And you might not think about it at first. You sit outside at Shady's, and it's literally shady because of this awesome tree, right? The place wouldn't be the same without it. And that's one of the things good trees do. They give shade, protection, Fruit. That's it. That's all I have on trees. I'm very pro-tree. And lastly, we see that the righteous are planted and safely hidden. It says, in God, their rock. What does it mean that God is our rock? 
If you read Psalm 18 too, I think it says it well. The psalmist says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's our protector. He's our helper. And I think this is a really good place to remember the firm foundation that we have in Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, behold, I am with you always. In Luke 6, Jesus says, the wise man built his house upon the rock. There is no flood that can move him. In John 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. As Christians, we can point to Christ, Jesus, our rock. At the end of the psalm, it says, there is no unrighteousness in him. We look at the life of Jesus. It says it was a lamb, he was a lamb without spot or blemish. He lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven offering his righteousness to us, God's people, that we might live a life with God, adopted into his family forever and ever. And so this brings us back to where we started. Worship God with his people. Root yourself in him and you will flourish forever. That's the promise of God, that we can flourish with him forever. And so how do we do that? What does that look like here? What does that look like for us today? I have a couple things for us to think about. The first is this, it's good to give thanks. It's the first verse of the psalm, right? It's good to give thanks. Christians need to be really thankful people all the time. And sometimes it's harder than it should be. But we want to be thankful people. And a few ways that we can do that. We can be thankful for each other, right? Paul even did it for the Corinthians. He said, I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you quickly a couple of people that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for Ben Marshall. This is a man that is faithful to his family. He's a brother who's kind, loyal, generous, and he's an example in prayer for me and for many others. I love you, Ben. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for Drew and Lainey Fagan. They are so loyal and so generous and so kind and so want to do what is right. They love God. They love me really well. I'm thankful for them. I love you guys. We can be thankful for children. If you look around at Mosaic Church, you'll typically see a child somewhere. And we should be really thankful for them. They are just as much image bearers of God as we are. The Bible calls them arrows in our quivers, fellow worshipers. They're not a problem to us to be solved, but they are a gift. We want to be thankful for kids. And we want to be thankful, like I said earlier, for freedom to worship. There's a time where we couldn't worship. And there are many people, brothers and sisters, all across the world that cannot worship freely. And it's good to remember them, to think of them, to remember them in our prayers and to consider them. The second way I think that we can root ourselves in God is to be people that sing. We should be people that sing at home and here at church. Even, and I'll say especially if you have a bad voice. Two of my very best friends, I won't name them, absolutely cannot sing. But when I stand next to them and they're singing in their own key, it makes me so happy. It makes me so happy. Because God doesn't need us to be good singers. He just tells us to be singers. And so sing. And if someone's got a bad voice, I'm just sing louder. It's good. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. That is an objective truth. At home, we have songs for diaper changes, for the last day of school. We even have a song for this psalm, which is honestly kind of what, what brought me to, to thinking of it and wanting to teach on it. And sometimes we sing because we're joyful, and sometimes we sing because we need to be reminded to be joyful. So I want us to sing. And lastly, 
We need to be a people that practice the lifestyle of Sabbath, a life of rest and remembrance in God's presence. And I'll tell you, I wrote this, this part, feeling the effects of shallow roots in my life, of the cheap promise of worldliness, right? It's always there. I was trying to think of what worldliness was like, and, and the thing that kept coming to my mind was zebra-striped gum, if you're familiar with it. Um, you chew it for about two seconds, and you think, why did I do this? It's no good to me. God's promise is that if we root ourselves in him, if we live a life with him, that it's going to lead upward into eternity. It's not going to end here. And for us today, the things that lead us to a deeply rooted life in God are probably not our phone, probably not our news. If you live around here, it's not your sports team. It's not your clothes. The things that root us in God are time that remind us of Sabbath, our time in God's word, time in prayer, and time with his people. God tells us to practice Sabbath, not just for obedience, because there's a promise of deep fellowship with him and with each other to enjoy him forever. It's a glimpse into eternity. It's a glimpse into heaven. A forever Sabbath with God and his people forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we're so thankful that you love us, that you sent your son Jesus for us. And we're thankful, God, that we can worship you with your people. We're thankful that you're a God that is worthy of our praise, God, because you're great and is so near to us. Lord, that we're the works of your hands made in your image. So we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us a people, a place, and a home, and a God who loves us and cares for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.